Right now, I want to just open the Word of God. I want you to take out your Bibles, if you would. And I want to just preach a message entitled, Four Questions You Must Deal With. Four questions. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. There are four basic questions that we find in the Word of God that you have to somehow come to terms with and have an answer for. And these questions that we I want to deal with today, there might be others that you would find in the Word of God, but quite honestly, the events of this past week have led me to this thought and how important I believe it is for all of us to deal with these. Really, in my mind, at the beginning of the week or earlier in the week, in the middle of the week, I should say, It really was one question that I knew we all have to deal with. And then as I began to think about that and I thought about this one question in the Word of God, I began to think about a few others that came out. And so today I want to share with you and I'll let you in in just a few moments on what the events of this past week have been, at least for us uh, as, as a family and for others in the church who have been affected by some of the things that have taken place. Uh, but today I find, it, I find it interesting, you know, Julian shares about his friend, we continue to pray for Mike and believe that God is going to save him. You know, it's an amazing thing, we, we often think about science and scientists as if they stand in direct opposition to the gospel, and yet there are many great scientists, many Excellent scientists who stand with the gospel and stand with the Bible and what the Bible teaches and the biblical record that we have there. Uh, we can never begin to, you know, kind of lump all of them into one category, but we continue to pray because we understand that what is revealed in the Word of God is absolutely true. And we're going to deal with that, that thought in just a moment. But the first question that you and I have to deal with in our lives as believers, and even if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, maybe you haven't come to the place where you have given your heart to Jesus Christ. You're not at the point yet where you've committed your all, and you, you are just wondering what it's all about. Or maybe it is that you've seen so many other people come down the, the line who profess to be Christians and there is, is some kind of abuse to their Christianity. There is some kind of a departure, some kind of a hypocrisy. I, I don't know how many people it, it try to escape the biblical truth simply because they say there are too many hypocrites. One man in the town where I grew up, my father had been witnessing to him for a long period of time. And one day he uh, was talking to him and and guy by the name of Billy, Billy recounts this uh, to this day. He said, you know, your dad was talking to me. He told me this story many years ago. He said, your dad was talking to me, and he said, you know, about the Lord and about coming to church. And he said, I don't know, you know, there are just too many hypocrites in the church. And my dad, as the pastor of the church, said to him, listen, Billy, one more isn't going to hurt. <laughs> and do you know that had an impact on Billy's life. He came into the church, gave his heart to the Lord. It wasn't long before his wife came, gave her heart to the Lord, and to this day, they are still serving the Lord in the church. You see, we, we try to find all kinds of excuses 
to escape. But the essential question, the first question that we absolutely have to deal with is this. What is man? Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm 8, and I want to read in verse... Well, you know what? We'll just read starting at verse 1. Psalm 8. The Bible says this. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. One translation says the angels. And crowned him with glory and honor. I'm going to stop reading right there because I want us to see today this question that the psalmist asks. What is man? And really what he is asking, and when it all comes down to it, when you boil that question down, you come down to this question. Why are we here? What purpose do you have for being on this earth? Well, we, we talk about, and just mentioned scientists briefly, those who, who buy into the evolutionary lie will, will simply say, well, we don't know necessarily why we're here. We can't tell you why. That somehow man in the, the process of evolution has developed in his mind and he has come to a place where he decides why he is here. And yet we know that throughout history, when you leave that question in the hands of man, man can distort it, man can destroy it, and man eventually will destroy other men simply because he thinks his purpose on the earth is to just simply get ahead and get ahead of everybody else that's around him. So you can't leave it in the hands of man. Somebody else has to come out with the reason why you're here. The psalmist said, God, you've made man. You have put man, you have created him a little lower than the heavenly hosts or the heavenly beings. A little lower than the angels. But you've done so for a purpose. When you look in the book of Genesis and you find God creating mankind, you realize God did not put man on this earth for no reason whatsoever. The psalmist repeats himself essentially in one area of the Psalms. You don't need to turn there, but Psalm 144 and verse 3 says this, O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? We just read in the beginning of Psalm 8, how powerful God is, how majestic God is, how great God is, how mighty He is, and yet as mighty and as great and as infinite and as powerful as He is, the Bible says that He cares for you. I don't know about you, but I have yet to fuzzy up and feel all warm and cozy when someone has been explaining to me the process of evolution. I have been I found it difficult 
to somehow cozy up to a biology book and have somebody make me feel all goosebumps. But when I read the Word of God and I begin to find that there is a purpose for my life, when you begin to read what the Word of God says, what is man, that you are mindful of him, that you take care of him, brothers and sisters, there is no greater message in all of humanity that there is a God who decided, decided by his own will to create humankind he created you and me and when he did he did for a purpose and that purpose is seen all throughout scripture that we might honor him and we might glorify him it is put very succinctly and very in very small form but nonetheless powerful in revelation why it is that you were made you were made for him You were not made for you. I realize that we live in a culture, we live in a society that says you've got to look out for number one. You've got to look out for you. You've got to be in charge of your life. You control your destiny. But I want you to know that too many people have been in control of their own destinies and they have ended up with terrible, horrible mistakes only to find that their control led them down a path that they didn't really want to go. So who are you going to believe in? You've got to trust in the one who said I've got a destiny that's for you I've got a plan that's for you it's a plan to give you a hope and a future Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 and the NIV says you are worthy O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will you, they were created and have their being. That word by your will that leads to that word in the original language, in the original Greek, it bears out the idea of purpose. So in other words, you were created for a purpose. And what was that purpose? To glorify the Lord, to praise the Lord, to honor Him with your life, to give Him your very best. Listen, for those of you, you have hopes and you have dreams about what your future is going to hold. Can I tell you today, don't approach that future. Don't approach those dreams without saying, God, what is your plan for my life? And will I be able to glorify you in and through that? For every young person that's entering high school or in high school, or entering college, your plan needs to be, Lord, what is that you have for my life? What do you want me to do that will glorify you and honor you with my very life? Brothers and sisters, we have to ask the question, what is man? And the Bible shows us that when we reveal, we open this this question up a little bit more, it leads us almost immediately to that question of what is your purpose? And we have seen from Scripture what our purpose is. What it is that we were put on this earth to do. There are so many people who are wandering around in this world aimlessly. Looking for some kind of hope. Looking for somebody to come up alongside of them and say, you know what, God loves you. He cares for you. He loves you more than anything else. He loves you with an everlasting love. You have a purpose in this life. And the purpose in this life is not just somehow to make it to a certain age. Your purpose is to glorify and honor the Lord. There is another question that has to be asked. And it is this. And this is really where it gets down to the nitty-gritty of you as an individual. The question is, what is your name? 
Go to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Verse 27. This is the story of Jacob coming back after all the years of serving his uncle Laban. And he has left Laban. He is now returning to his homeland. He doesn't know what he's going to find. He doesn't know where Esau is. He's heard that Esau is on his way with 400 men. He sends the family, sends everybody on ahead, and he stays behind at this particular place. And the Bible lets us know that during the night, there was a man that appeared to him, and the Bible says that they wrestled. They just had this wrestling match. One was trying to dominate the other. One was trying to overcome. And that whole wrestling match was to be a sign of his new name that he was about to receive. But Jacob could not receive a new name until he owned up to his old name. The Bible says this in Genesis 32 and verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Now that was a time where a name actually meant something. Today we give names. Maybe there is a family connection to the name, but oftentimes... There is, as we give names to our children, it's not because we have searched for a definition or a meaning or it is representative of their character, but certainly the name Jacob or deceiver is what it meant or supplanter really meant something. And Jacob at that moment realized, I cannot get the blessing that I want unless I own up to who I really am. And the one thing that we find in our world today is, is that you can somehow get away with glossing over who you are. You know, don't, don't worry about the, the faults. Let's focus on all the good stuff in your life. Focus on all of those things. And, and even if somebody commits a crime, we know that today there are times where somebody can commit a crime and they can do it and they can then point to some other character in them. As if somebody else did the actual dirty deed, but really it was them. We've got to learn that we have to own up to who we are as individuals. If we want the blessing of God in our lives, we've got to be able to dig down and search our hearts and begin to see that maybe there are some things in us that don't quite look like God. Some things that don't look the way that they ought to look. And in that moment, he said, what is your name? And here's the answer. Jacob, he answered. He was saying, I'm the deceiver. I'm the guy that Esau still talks about. In fact, earlier, a couple of chapters earlier, a few chapters earlier, here is how Esau summarized the character of Jacob. Genesis 27 and verse 36 says this, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. 
So in the moment now that Jacob wants a blessing from God, the only way that he can come by that blessing is to own up to the character that's on the inside, to own up to the bad stuff that he's done, to own up to who he really is. And brothers and sisters, when we begin to own up to who we really are on the inside, it is then that the grace and the mercy of God can come and bring about a change in your life and change you and make you a man of God, make you a woman of God, make you somebody that your neighbors don't even recognize, somebody your family doesn't recognize, the change that will take place. If you have any desire to come and be blessed by God, you have got to cross that bridge of that question, what is your name, who are you on the inside, what is it about you that's holding you back from a blessing? And i got to tell you, the last few services we've had, God wants to bless some of you in such a mighty way, such a powerful way. God wants to do something in and through your life. But it could be that we are actually holding back the blessing of God because we're not willing to own up to who we really are on the inside. Listen, you, you don't hang on to the things of the flesh. I, I know it seems tempting to just somehow do that because you know what? In the end, sometimes it actually makes us feel a little bit better. We, we can just be a little bit miserable in our lives. But you know what? In the end, God wants you to come out of that junk. He wants you to eliminate that stuff from your life and say, Lord, I want your blessing in my life more than anything else. I'm Jacob. And here's what God says after that. God says, you're no longer going to be Jacob. You are going to be Israel. Why? Because you have struggled with God and with man. That whole wrestling match was to prove that there was something on the inside of this man that was greater than the deception. Something on the inside of man, that man who, that was greater than all of the times that he had deceived people in order to get a step ahead. If there was something on the inside of him. He was, there was something changing about his character and it was God who was changing it. But there was something there that God was going to bring out of him and then use him as a patriarch of the people of Israel and to show us what it means to really have faith in God and trust in God. We have to remember that Jacob didn't change his name to Israel. It wasn't Jacob's choice. It was God. It was God who did it. It's only God who can change your character. It's only God who can change who you and I really are. It's only God who can come down and transform a life and change a life into what He wants it to be. We look around us, we say, I'd like to change that thing about myself. I want to change that. I want to change that. But every time I try, I just seem to come up empty. I can't quite change it. Listen, brothers and sisters, what we've got to do is get into the presence of God the way that Jacob did and strive. Struggle with God and struggle with Him until finally we own up to who we are and then we can say, Lord, You can pour in the blessing in my life and You can make me what You want me to be. What is Your name? There is another vital question that we have to ask and it's found in the New Testament. If you would, go with me to John, the book of John chapter 18. This is a question that is being presented in our modern culture. In our day and age, we're living in a time where the idea and the concept that we're about to look at just seems to go out the window. And it is this question. What is 
truth. What is truth? The Bible lets us know that Jesus was brought before Pilate, who was nothing more than just a a Roman, he was sort of like a Roman governor over the land of Palestine at that time. And he was more or less, he was a puppet of the people. He didn't want to lose favor with Caesar, but at the same time, he didn't want to lose favor with the Jews during that time. And so, you know, he struggled between Roman law and between Hebrew law. And he found himself caught on this particular day as Jesus stood before him, having already been beaten, almost beyond recognition. And the Bible says in John chapter 18, I want to look at verse, we're going to look at verse 37, but let's, yeah, let's look at verse 37 and 38. And this is the reply of Pilate back to Jesus. You are a king then. And that was essentially the accusation from the Jews. He sets himself up as a king, and then all of a sudden they all got very, you know, you know, they were all of a sudden their allegiance to Caesar came on board. And he sets himself up against Caesar. Caesar's our king. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world, now here it is, to testify to the truth. Not a truth, but the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me listens to me. I want you to see that. That's very important because we live in a day and age where if you're going to be politically correct, you've just got to accept everything and everybody. The politically correct answer is everybody's going to heaven. The politically correct answer is it doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you have faith. That's the politically correct answer. Unfortunately, that flies in direct opposition to what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then when he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to one person, me. Nobody else. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Then he says in John chapter 18 and verse 38, listen to what Pilate's reply was. What is truth? What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. He didn't want to crucify Jesus because there was nothing according to Roman law that indicated he should be crucified. And that's why he said, I don't find any basis. But here he is. He's standing in this sort of a a bubble. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he pulls out what now is known as relativism. Everything's relative. Everything, it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's all, it's all subjective. It's not objective. It's, it's just whatever you want to make it. And he says, what is truth? And we live in a day and age where there are those who will say, well, listen, there is no absolute truth. If there is no absolute truth then you can point your bony finger at the Scripture and you can say, Jesus, you are a liar. Because if you don't believe in absolute truth, you cannot believe that Jesus is who He said He was. 
It is absolutely impossible. It's an amazing thing. You encounter, maybe you encounter somebody. I once heard Brother Warren Wiersbe many years ago uh, say something to this effect, and it has been repeated. I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of Dr. Norman Geisler as well. He says it in, in some of his books as well. For those who say there is no absolute truth, he says simply all your reply needs to be, needs to, be to them. Is that absolutely true? Because in the end, if they're saying there's no absolute truth, not even what they're saying is absolute truth. We've got to screw our heads on, don't we? Really. God, look, when God said to have faith, he didn't say to check your brains somewhere out on the street before you enter the church. Before you enter Christianity, before you give your heart to Christ. Listen, this is not a baseless faith. This is based on the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way to get to him. And you know what? He's standing there. The amazing thing I I find about this is what Jesus just said. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and then somehow Pilate can look at him and say, eh, what's truth? The truth is standing right in front of him. The truth is right there in front of him. And Jesus has thrown down the gauntlet of truth. And he has said, listen, you believe in truth. You're going to believe in me. You're going to listen to me. You're going to obey me. You're going to follow me. And yet, he throws out the same junk that we're still hearing today. What's truth? There really isn't any. No truth at all. That's not what Jesus said. There is truth, and he is the truth. Brothers and sisters, don't fall for the lie that says there is no absolute truth. You need to come to the word of God and come to Christ and say, Lord, you have said you are the truth. You have said you are the way, the truth, and the life. There there isn't salvation found in any other but the name of Jesus. It cannot be found in anybody else or anything else, but it's found in Him. The last question that I want to deal with this morning, and before we end up this, in this meeting today, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for a family of a young man who lost his life this week. 26 years old, 27 years old. A man by the name of Alex had a son was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And a bullet hit him and took his life right here in the city. We're also going to pray for the family of a pastor that we have known all of our lives, was instrumental in my my wife's family being able to come from Argentina to the United States. He is a man who has been known the world over this week veered out into traffic and hit a truck head-on. Pastor David Wilkerson lost his life this past week. One of the true prophets of God. He he really was a prophet of God. And it hit us hard because I've grown up listening to him, had the opportunity to meet him and and so on, but he he was a man of God. And and as I, you know, it was literally, I think it was Thursday morning or Wednesday morning, I can't remember which morning, My father-in-law called Thursday morning. He called and said, David Wilkerson was killed the day prior on Wednesday. Two hours later, Sherry called me and said, 
One of my sons, Raymond's closest friends, lost his life. Two hours later, I said, Lord, you, you, life is so absolutely short. And you know what, brothers and sisters, the, the question that came to my mind, it was really the first question out of all of these that came to my mind. It's found in the book of James, chapter 14. And it is this question. What is your life? What is your life? This is a vital question for you and I to have to answer because we don't know. Pastor Wilkerson would have been 80 next month. But this young man, Alex, was in his 20s. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow holds. In fact, that's what James is talking about. He is talking to to those, he is literally talking to, to a few businessmen, it seems, in Scripture here, and he is letting them know, listen, you're making all of these plans for life. You're making all of these plans about, you know, we're going to go and we're going to make money in a certain city. We're going to live there for about a year and we're going to just put down some roots and, and, and plant ourselves there to make some money. And, you know, then, and then we're going to go here. We're going to do all of these things. And listen to what he says in verse 14 of James chapter 4. Why? You, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. He's saying you're talking about a year from now. You're planning a whole year. And he says, you don't even know what's coming around the corner. You don't know what tomorrow holds for you. And he says this. He asks this question. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Brothers and sisters, if I can get you to understand this and clearly hear my heart today. What struck me in that moment as I heard about these two individuals who lost their lives completely unconnected to each other but connected by at least us. And it is this. What is your life? You are here today and gone tomorrow. I'm not saying this to scare anybody. I'm not here to present some kind of scare tactic. I'm here to just present you with the reality of life. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know what this afternoon holds. You can walk out of this building. You have no idea what is going on. You have no idea what's taking place this afternoon. You might have a plan for it, but there might be another plan that's in place that you don't know about. There might be something else that's going on, and you have to ask yourself, what is your life? The Bible says it is a vapor. It's like the fog that rolls in in the morning, and all of a sudden, by mid-morning, it's been burned away. It's gone. The fog is gone. There's no more. Say, well, we live a long time these days. But really, in the light of eternity, in the light of, you know, history, what's 75, 80, 90, 100 years at best? What is that? It's nothing. It's a vapor. And it's a challenge to all of us. Are we going to make our lives count for Christ? Or are we going to continue in the same kind of nonsense day after day, doing our own thing, trying to work out our own plan, trying to say, well, you know what, this is the way it's going to be. You know what, brothers and sisters, I want my life to count for Christ. I want my life to count for the Lord. I don't want to be wasted if all of a sudden it were to be snuffed out in an instant. I don't want it to be looked back upon that somehow he wasted his time and wasted his life brothers and sisters what is your life 
It is a vapor. Psalm 144. You don't need to turn there, but just listen. Psalm 144, verse 4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. The shadow just moves. The sun moves as the earth revolves around the sun and the day occurs and the hours pass by. That shadow moves. It changes. No longer are you under the shadow. The shadow's gone just in an instant. And that's the way our lives are. So the question is, what are we going to do with it? The question is, what are we going to do with our lives? You might be here today. You might be sitting there and you might be saying to yourself, you know what? Really, Pastor, I've got all kinds of plans. Do you mean to disrupt that? I don't mean to disrupt anything. I just mean for you to insert God into the plan and begin to get God into the situation and put Him number one. Put Him number one in your life. Let Him be first. You know what? I, as we contemplated, we've been talking about Brother Wilkerson and Pastor Wilkerson all of, you know, for the last couple of days and just what it is. I began to recount in my own heart what it is that he has meant to me over the years. And he didn't know me really very well. And, and, and what it is that he has meant in his ministry. You know why it is that he has meant something so great? It's because he gave of himself to the Lord. To say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to give my best to you. And you know what, brothers and sisters, we're not all called to be like Brother Wilkerson. We're not all called to be like somebody else. But we are called to give God our very best. Because in the end, you were created for Him. And the, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can come to the Father through Him. And you can know that your life counts for something because you have received Christ as your Savior. Can we stand to our feet right now?